Well, good morning. You're like every other Baptist church I go to, fuller in the back, and the front pews are brand new. Um, every time I go to a church, I'm like, um, is it all right if I sit on the front row? The answer is always yes. Um, it's just fine. Um, it's good to be with you today. My name is Mark, um, and I'm one of your region ministers. I work for the American Baptist Churches. That's one of you of Indiana and Kentucky, and um, I'm blessed to be here with you today. I've got several ties to the church, but uh, the most important one is Jesus Christ, and that's who we're here to talk about today. And um, I'm, I'm blessed um, to join you. Um, spent a lot of time with pastors and churches. Uh, spent a lot of time talking to pastors, and they're, uh, they're in um, a variety of places in their ministry. Um, some nearing the end, and they're looking at retirement, some just beginning. Um, but one of the key things I do in my job, because some people are just kind of curious, what, what is it do I actually do? Um, I, I feel the, the biggest component of my job is I get to be a pastor to pastors. Um, it's a hard thing, being a pastor. It's a beautiful thing to see a pastor at work. It's a very difficult thing as a pastor to constantly be um, a dispenser and, and a voice and advocate of God's grace, but sometimes as pastor, not receiving it from other people. And pastors often find themselves there regularly. And so we're going to turn into a passage of scripture, um, Psalm 73. And the title of this message is God is Good. And as I talk about God being good, that's not just some hokey thing that I, I want to be a motto or a slogan. It's a reality. God is good. God is good. There is not um, a more talked about or, or, or um, a word used more often throughout the Bible to describe God than good. And God himself used it. When God was creating, right, that was the word he chose to use. Everything he created, God would say himself, this is good. Until, until, right, he looked down and saw that man was alone. And for the first time, God says some of the truest words in all of the Bible. It is not good for man to be alone. We all know that. Every man in this room knows if you leave me alone, it's not going to be good. I'm, I'm going to get into some sort of trouble. God looked down and saw it is not good. So the work of God is good or it's not good. When Jesus is, is teaching and a man comes up and calls him good teacher, Jesus kind of stops him right there. Why, why do you call me good? I mean, that word is used for God. God is good. God, and God alone is good. Why do you call me good? The man was right. I mean, let's not argue that. Um, but Jesus was just pointing out, you're calling me good. That is a word we reserve for God. God is good. And the, and the other option is, is, if you're struggling with this, is that God is not good. You know, those are the only two options. God is good or God is not good. And, I, and I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of people in this world who are struggling with that decision. There are people sitting in pews struggling with that decision. 
And as we look at Psalm 73, we find a pastor who is struggling with that decision. And that's why I love this passage. Your pastor, I love I loved Dr. J. I love Jeremy. Um, I've known him for several years now. Um, anyways, it'd be difficult as a pastor to stand up and preach this message. So I get to, I get to come do it. So why am I here today? Because I get to preach a fun passage of Scripture where I see um, a, a pastor who is just being honest. So in Psalm 73, um, verse 1, he says, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped away. I had nearly lost my foothold. So he starts off saying, God is good, and, and surely God is good. I'm, I'm going to believe that God is good, but. God is good, but my feet almost slipped. God being good is the foundation in which we build. Because if God is not good, you're not going to build on that foundation. God is good, though, and he, and he, and he says, I, I, you can take that to the bank. We're going to build on that. And as a worship leader, um, he knows this. But, but, God is good, but. We don't know a whole lot about Asaph. I, uh, um, I, I studied him. He's the, he's the author of this chapter. Um, I don't know a whole lot about him because everything I read, it says that he could be this and he could be this and he could be this. Um, that's okay. I, sometimes we just don't know. Well, one of the things I read, though, said that he was one of three worship leaders appointed by David. So King David chooses him as to be one of three worship leaders. So Pastor Nathan always has a smile. I don't know him near as well as I do Jeremy, but every time I see Nathan, he's got a smile. Imagine your worship leader, I'm not picking on Nathan, but just to stand up and say, I know God is good, but my feet have almost slipped. It, it, that, some of you would just like get up and walk out. You, you couldn't imagine if Pastor Nathan stood up and said this. Why is that? Because as pastors... Are we supposed to be this honest when we're struggling on our own? When we're struggling in our own faith? You don't want to know that. But I'm telling you, we're human. I'm human. I love Jesus. I love God. I know God is good, but I have bad days. There are days I turn off the Christian radio station because they're just too happy for me. Right? I love that music. You can play it all day long, but just be quiet and play the music. I have days I feel broken. I've, I, have, I have days where I, I sit and I think about the goodness of God, but I'm hurting. And, and so that's why I love this passage of Scripture, because it's a, he's a worship leader. I don't know a whole lot about him, but he's being honest. I know God is good, but my feet have almost slipped. Now, he's not saying that um, he's, he's thinking about being unfaithful to his wife or anything like that. It's, it's my feet have almost slipped on the foundation that God is good. 
And, and there's good reason for that. There's good reason for that. There's good reasons in your life for that. There's good reasons in my life where, where I have to, to, to think about, um, I have to go back to the basics. I know God is good. I know God loves me. I know Jesus was real. I know Jesus died on the cross. I know he rose again three days later. I, and I go back to those, those fundamental statements and my core belief. What is this man's issue? Verse 3. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They're not plagued by human ills. I want to pause there. There are three things that he sees around him. Let's unfold what that means. I said I don't know a whole lot about Asaph. But if he's a worship leader in the temple, or a worship leader, um, what I do know about him then is that he's a Levite. Now, I'm not trying to be Bible nerd on you today, but just so you know, some of you may, may not be aware, Levites were the tribe of God's people who didn't get to own property. The other tribes got to own property. The, tri the tribe of Levi, if you were a Levite, you were part of the holy group who worked at the temple. And then you didn't get to own property. I keep using the word temple. They're a place of worship. Um, you didn't get to own property. And so Asaph, he gets to go to, to worship all the time. And, and he gets to work at the temple. And he, he comes from this holy tribe. But he looks out and he sees people who own property. And they're prospering. My, my, when I first started in ministry, my brother was working for a gas company back in West Virginia. And it dawned on him one day. You know, he had a base pay of about 70000 a year, but he made over 100000 a year working for the gas company because he worked a lot of overtime. And he looked at me, and he goes, you, you don't get to work overtime, do you? And he says, well, well, what if somebody dies? Do you get more money then? I'm like, Mike, we don't call that overtime, you know? That's not overtime in the pastor's realm. We, we live life, we serve the Lord, Many pastors um, are retiring, and they've never owned a home. And so when they retire, they have no place to live. That's why the retired, mission, mission, um, retired ministers and missionaries offering is so valuable, because many pastors lived in an age where you went from parsonage to parsonage to parsonage, and then something happens, your health declines, or you retire, and, and then you're homeless. And I, I saw that early on in my ministry. I went to set up a hospital bed. I worked for a home health care company. I went to set up a hospital bed for a pastor and a camper. He and his wife were in their 70s, and that's all they had because they always lived in a parsonage. And then as I started my first job as a pastor, this really wise man named Kent Wagner, you may have heard of him, said, Pastor, you need to start putting back for retirement. I said, I'm only 25. 
I'm only 25, and we're going to have a baby. We could use a little extra money now at 25, and I'll worry about 65 later. And this wise man, Kent Wagner, says, no, God wants you to start preparing for retirement now. Thank you, Kent Wagner. I tried talking him out of it. It didn't work. I love me, Kent Wagner, you know. God's blessed me. Asaph, though, he didn't have a retirement plan. Asaph goes to, to worship. Asaph and his family are, are provided for by those who show up to worship. But when he looks out, the people who own property, they're not living by the standard God calls them to. Matter of fact, they end up in exile because they farm their land too much. They're supposed to let it rest every seven years. And they don't. So when they go into exile for 70 years, if you, if you Bible nerd, if you find out and study, it's because they didn't let the land rest for those seven years and they owe those years to God and God takes them. It's one of the reasons they go into exile. Asaph's a worship leader. He looks out and he sees these people prosper and he's like, here I am serving the Lord and these people are prospering. They're arrogant people and I envy them. They're people who are disobedient to God and he says, I envy them. We have young people being raised in church today and they're forced with the decision. Is it worth it? They look out of the church and they see people, wicked people who prosper. Sometimes when they come to church, it's not the most holy of atmospheres for them. And they ask themselves, is it worth it? And why do they ask themselves that? Because there are parents doing the same thing. And, and over half of the kids growing up in church today are going to leave the church. And we're going to sit around and wonder why. It's because when they come to this moment of decision, they're going to envy the wicked because they're not really sure about what's going on on the inside of the church. And they may walk away believing God is good. But they're going to envy what's going on outside. And the question remains, is it worth it? Because there are people out there, I mean, I quit my job as a pastor go do something else, and, and I get to go to the Colts games every Sunday. I see all kinds of other people going to the Colts games every Sunday. It looks fun. And they're making a lot more money. They can actually afford season tickets. And, and so what, what if as a pastor, I know God is good, but look what they get to do. They seem to be having a lot of fun out there. there and, and on the inside, sometimes it's not fun. That's where this worship leader is. That's why there's also pastors leaving the ministry right and left. That's why people are leaving the churches right and left. Because we fall into this moment where we envy what's going on on the outside. This man looks at the prosperity of the wicked. He also looks at the peace of the wicked. And he's like, I look, I look at what's going on in their life and they don't seem to have any burdens. They're, they're making enough money that, that they don't have to worry about their next paycheck. 
Not only are they prosperous, they don't seem to be burdened by anything. What else did he say? He goes so far as to talk about their pride. Verse 6, he says, Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. With arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like. Always free of care. They go on amassing wealth. I'm going to pause there. The, the, the prideful people, prideful people who are out there are making fun of us in here. And I'm telling you, there's some teenagers, there's some grown adults are getting tired of being made fun of from people who seem to be wicked and prosperous and carefree and, and burdensome. I mean, there are no burdens in their life. And, and it seems like there's burdens. feels like a heavy load. And sometimes people just aren't nice in the church. And they're not nice to their pastors. Jeremy didn't ask me to preach this, by the way, for some of you may sit in there wondering that. Somebody, somebody's in those rooms like, oh, Jeremy. Jeremy's been talking to Mark. You know, no, Jeremy has not been talking to Mark. I've just been talking to lots of pastors. Lots of pastors. I spoke to a pastor this week, and he says, I, I'm, I'm not for sure how my church can keep going on. He says, our numbers just keep declining. And I've been working with him and the church, and um, we had this conversation. And I said, um, what would be beneficial is if we gathered and we all confessed um, things that we've done that has caused such a toxic environment for the church. But we don't point it out and other people, we confess what we've done to contribute to the toxic nature of the church. And the pastor says, you don't understand, we can't do confession at my church. We can't confess to one another because at my church, if we confess to one another, somebody's going to write it down and they're going to use it against us. Well, does that sound like a church? And their numbers are dropping quick. I know why. The pastor is an extended grace. And if somebody hears that the pastor's not extended grace and he's supposed to be the pastor, there's no chance for me. That's why Asaph ends up where he is in ministry. My heart goes out for Asaph in case you haven't caught on. So as you sit there and you think about this, I'm going to be a little more difficult on you. And let's, let's pick up and read verse 13. He says, Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been afflicted and every morning brings new punishments. If I had spoken out like that, I have, would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it tro troubled me deeply. Um, so as he goes on, he, he's saying, basically, he's saying that there is no advantage to holy living. 
There's no point in coming here, became his conclusion. I spoke with a, another young man this week. Another thing I get to do as a region minister, I get um, to recommend um, people for chaplaincy in the military. So the military is going to call me up and say, hey, this, this person listed you as a reference, and can you vouch for him so they can be a chaplain in the military? So I met with a young man feeling a call in his life to be a chaplain in the military this week. He's never been a minister before. He's never even served in the army before. So we, I had a lot to talk to him about. And he says, is there any, any advice you can give me as somebody young feeling a call to the ministry? And I said, yes, I'm going to tell you a piece of advice and you're not going to understand it right now because life is so good. You're excited. God's moving in a positive direction and you're excited. Doors are opening and you're, you're not going to get it right now. But there will be a day where you're deeply troubled and you're going to feel like a hypocrite. You're going to have bad days and you're going to feel like a hypocrite when you stand before anyone and profess God's word when in your own heart you're struggling with it. And you're going to think, as a hypocrite, you better just sit down and be quiet. So my advice and counsel to you is don't do that. Because that's the way the world, that's what the world wants us to do. That's not how God works. See, God calls us to act our way to new thinking. And the world tells us to think our way to new action. Now, that's a little heavier it's a quick, easy line to say, so I'm going to say it again. God calls us to act our way to new thinking. And the world says we should think our way to new action. The world says you better understand everything before you do anything, and that's why nothing ever gets done. Moses had his conversation with God. Hey, God, I, I don't quite get all of this. Can you give me some details? And God's just trying to tell Moses, just be quiet and start moving. God calls us to act, and when we begin to act and do what he calls us to do, then we begin to understand who he is, and then nothing else matters. And on this day, this man, this, as he works through, he just doesn't quit when he has these bad moments. He keeps doing what God calls him to do until his thinking changes. So if you're in that spot, I'm not trying to talk you out of coming back. Keep acting and doing what God called you to do because there's this turning point in this man's life and it's a beautiful turning point. And it's verse 17. I want to read verse 16 again and then verse 17. He says, when I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply. And now this whole section pivots until I entered the sanctuary of God. And then I understood their final destiny. Until I entered the sanctuary of God. What's he saying? When I started looking outside, that's where my heart wanted to be. That's where I wanted to be. And I saw that it looked better out there than it did in here until I came in here. And when I came in here, I realized I was in God's presence. 
and then everything changes. Everything changes. You're in the presence of God. Things didn't change because I showed up today. There's nobody else's presence that matters today other than God's, as far as why we're here. There are people who encourage you. And I was thrilled to see Kent. You know, um, I, there, there's lots of things that I love about going to church. But when you, when you forget that the reason we're here is to be in God's presence, and not just to be in God's presence in isolation, but for all of us to be in God's presence, because there are days when my faith is weak, I might have to borrow yours. And so when I show up and I'm really struggling, I'm here, and I might say, I know God is good, I know I'm in his presence, but I obviously am not singing like that person over there. They are really singing it today. I'm going to borrow their faith until mine's a little stronger. And you know what happens? There's going to be a day where your faith is going to be strong, and they're going to have to borrow yours. That's why we're here together. That's why God called all of us today. I even believe God called some people who just said no. I pray for those people. Because they're missing out. When we begin to look outside and see the prosperity of the wicked, we have forgotten how awesome it is to be in the presence of God. It is my hope and prayer as you come to worship, you, you realize you're in the presence of God and there is no other place on this earth that can match that. This is, this is the best thing going. What else is this man dealing with? Well, as he begins to understand their final destiny, he begins to elaborate in a way that's that's honest, a little harsh, may sound a little judgmental, but we're going to read it anyways because it's God's word. We make no excuses. Verse 18, surely you placed them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors? They are like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. This man entered the sanctuary. And when he stood in God's presence, when he worshiped God in his presence, everything changed. And then he realized these people who seem prosperous, going to fall. Jesus, Jesus said there, there are two people who build their house, right? 
One built their house on the sand. One built their house on the rock. The same rain comes on them both. Jesus said the rain falls on the just and the unjust. The same rain is coming for them both. And only one house is going to stand. And there's one more truth to that parable. You have to live in the house in which you build. So when Jesus says, hey, build your house on the rock, what rock is he talking about? The fact that God is good and there's nothing that compares to him. There's nothing that compares to the goodness of God. And that's the rock that rock. And how do we know of God's goodness? It's because Jesus Christ came and revealed just how good God is. Jesus Christ came to reveal the love of God and its full extent that he would die for us. A sinner in need of a savior, that's me. And we receive that salvation and, and, then, and then we walk you know, with that righteous right hand. God will guide us. This man says, as I look at, at the wicked, I see their ruin. And he says, I, he, he, he describes a call to repentance. What's part of repentance? Confession. And then turning away. Confession and turning away. And then he recognizes the reward of the righteous. Let me, let me clear something up about that. The reward of the righteous. This isn't prosperity theology by any means. It's, it's the simple recognition that if I want God to bless my life, he may or may not. His grace is sufficient for me. I have been given eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God owes me nothing. But I do know this. God cannot bless disobedience. If I am looking for God's blessing, I'm going to walk as obedient to him as it's humanly possible, not because I'm trying to earn anything because I've already been given more than I deserve, but I do want God's blessing. And I know as long as I'm doing the work God calls me to do, he's going to bless that. But I do know if I turn and my focus and I look outside and I start walking the path of the wicked, I do know God cannot bless that. Sometimes we have to reimagine and relearn what we consider blessings to fully appreciate that. And so we learn from this in this passage the responsibility of believers. Now, I'm going to close with this thought. There's two key responsibilities here, according to this passage, of every believer. The first is to stay near to God, even on days where, where you feel like your feet are slipping. Stay near to God. The days that you feel like your faith is shaking, find somebody and borrow theirs. Stay near to God. You keep acting your way to new thinking. Stay near to God. The second thing, our second responsibility according to this passage is to tell others about God. 
How, how amazing is it, the gift that we've been given in Jesus Christ? And how selfish are we when we keep it to ourselves? And if we, have this, if we believe that the wicked will perish, I don't want that to happen for them. I've spent time um, doing Bible study. I always have to throw that phrase in there in the federal prison in Terre Haute. I always, uh, sometimes I just say, I've spent time at the federal prison in Terre Haute. Everybody gets uncomfortable. Um, I was doing Bible study there with people who were on death row. I did Bible study in the state prison. And I've done Bible study with addicts. Um, I, I've, I've done Bible study with over a thousand drug addicts who would readily admit they were drug addicts because confession was safe. And I've seen Jesus change their lives because I shared that message. They want a new life. I want them to have a new life. They need to hear the message. They also need to know there's a place where they can go for God to continue that new work that he has begun. So why doesn't that happen? Why does that not happen? If we re realize our first, our, our first responsibility is to stay near to the presence of God and the second one is to share the goodness of God, I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to remind you, at the very beginning, he says in verse 3, for I envied the arrogant. And here's the key. I believe one of the reasons churches aren't growing because, is because envy is the enemy of evangelism. I'm going to say it again. Envy is the enemy of evangelism. There are people who keep looking out and thinking they got it better out there than we do in here. I think it's one of the main reasons why people don't tell others about Jesus because they actually are just like Asaph and they envy what's going on out there. And so today I invite you into the presence of God. I invite you um, to sit on the front row, right? I invite you to look around and find somebody's faith who's really strong today if yours is a little weak and borrow theirs. I invite you into God's presence through Jesus Christ, through the work of the Holy Spirit. You will be drawn near to him. Don't give up. Young people struggling with the decision, is it worth it? I'm telling you, it is. Older people who are wondering, is it worth it? I'm telling you, it is. May you not forget that. Let us pray. Almighty God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the opportunity to proclaim your word. This beautiful passage from Psalm. A man um, who, who led worship, who was completely honest about his faith and where he was in his walk with you. Dear Lord, I, I believe there's no better place than in the sanctuary of God. And some people, like, like Jacob, they're completely unaware of it. I believe this place is awesome. I don't believe there's a better place on earth than in worship with you, surrounded by like-minded believers. 
with enough grace to open the door to anyone who, who, who's being called to walk through. Dear Lord, I know there's some people at home right now and, and they're struggling. And, and there may be some people who tuned in because it was just easier. And maybe, maybe they tuned in because they want to look outside and see the, the arrogance of the wicked. So, dear Lord, I'm not saying that's everybody. I'm just saying I I know how human hearts work. Call us into your presence. May your spirit move. May it stir in my life. May it stir in the lives of those who gather here. May, May my faith be strong that when somebody's struggling, they can borrow it. And, dear Lord, the day that my faith is weak, May I feel like this is a place where I can confess that. And may I borrow the faith of somebody beside me. For dear Lord, you are a good, good God. And nothing I desire compares to you. May your spirit have this moment as we're honest with ourselves and with you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.